definitely going to be fall. The uh, I love the briskness of you know our region and everything like that, and then um, you know just being able to you know put on a light coat to stay warm. You're not sweating, right? I absolutely hate Florida weather because it's hot and humid, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you know, I like I like the dry heat uh, down in you know places like Utah, Arizona, but you know, when it's 120 degrees, it's just brutal. So the nice crispness, you know, um, came back recently from a vacation in fall from Florida and you step off the jetway um, from the plane and you just get that big blast of cold, crisp air. And uh, that's, I think, the thing that I really enjoy the most is the cool, crisp air. So you're sure. true Minnesotan where you're saying it's oh, not 100%. about the heat, it's about the humidity. That's yeah. what makes the difference. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's Kelsey, what's your favorite season? I know I'm going to say I'm going to totally piggyback on Nate that even if it's not a season, that like one or two days mm. that we get of like 70 to 75 where the humidity's not there, the wind's not super high, that you can go outside and you're like, yeah, I can wear a sweater and it's enjoyable to be outside and the bugs haven't hatched yet. That's definitely the ideal weather day 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And Jake? Uh, I got to say <laughs> fall as well. Are we all going to say just, fall? <laughs> just campfire weather and, and yeah, opening the windows at night and everything's nice and cool in the morning. You know, nothing beats that. So if you find a spot where we get fall year round, tell me or don't tell me if you don't want me to leave. But I think I might I might run there if you can find it. I think Jake and I are going to have to go dirt biking and have a campfire this fall. So. Yeah. Find a weekend, Nate, and sign me up anytime. Perfect. You know what? I was going to say, like, fall as well. (laughs) I mean, we're all saying fall. I love the change in colors, like, the cool weather. It's just perfect. Yeah. We're all up here in the Midwest loving it. But uh, if you're listening on YouTube, we'd love for you to comment below what your favorite season is, what your favorite weather is. Um, And today on our Tech for Business podcast, we're talking about the clouds, not that kind of cloud. We're talking about network and cloud security. We're joined uh, by Nate, our director of cybersecurity, and Jake, our assistant director of services. And I'll kind of throw it out to them. Why, Why is the cloud security, why is cloud security important for businesses? Yeah, so it's a very important topic to cover now. We're seeing an unbelievable amount of customers move to the cloud away from that local infrastructure. Uh, it's the first place they want to go. A um, few customers want to remain on premise for some things, but I would say 95 to 100 percent of our customers are able to move a segment of their infrastructure to the cloud. Right. So it's important for us to talk about security and make sure that we're provisioning them in a secure environment uh, as they move forward. So they have a good foundation for their systems as they move there. Yeah, I think I'm going to, before I jump all the way down into the security and everything, is uh, maybe quick reiterating what the cloud is. Uh, yes. Right? So there's, there's a you. lot of, yeah, there's a lot of people where, you know, it, it's so common these days that we just say the cloud, people know what that means. Um, it is not floating up in the sky, right? Uh, Ariel already stopped me from calling out all the different types of actual uh, meteorological clouds because I was doing that before we recorded, but um, but no, it, it's 
rather than you know running a server in your building or data center or something you're you know leasing or you know running a system or um, computing from another provider right so there's a lot of different ways that you could go about this right is um the cloud could just be running at a vendor's data center right it's still in a data center it's just not your data center all the way to they're running the actual computers you're running the programs on top of it and then all the way to a secure or a software as a service which is they run all of the applications the hardware you just go to a website to be able to access it so you know things like office 365 right is that's a software as a service it's running in the cloud which means microsoft's data centers we just access it from a, a website so um otherwise yeah jake I, I guess maybe do you want to maybe talk a little bit about why are so many people moving to the cloud you know what uh, you help lead our entire cloud team so you know what what's the main motivators for customers for you there's various motivators. Um, one of the primary ones over the last couple of years is is moving to a a cloud based solution for the remote workforce to have easier capability of utilizing their applications. You know, we at CIT have taken you know leaps to get into that environment, which allows our workforce to be able to be um, able to use all the applications and utilities that they used to have to be in the office for connect over a VPN. Now we've we've allowed that to be accessed. Um, easy, but also in a secure manner. Um, other motivators for moving to the cloud, I'd say, is you know aging hardware, um, aging operating systems, um, companies wanting to move to more of an operational expense and get away from that capital expense of, of purchasing a server, migrating the services to it, and then letting it sit there for another five years and then maintaining that, right? A lot of that overhead and backend maintenance that they're used to doing with a traditional server um, some of that gets alleviated by moving to like an Azure based system, right? Or even a software as a service based solution like Microsoft 365 email. Now we don't have to patch a, an exchange server and do things like that and, and have an engineer spend a weekend running a cumulative update on a, on a server. Those, those days are gone for those technologies. So say those are, those are kind of the two big um, points for moving to the cloud that I'm seeing. Awesome. Yeah. The, the OpEx versus CapEx is a, a big component there, you know, it's, uh, and that's even bleeding over into security solutions these days. So for example, um, in the past, your security appliance that used to sit there and monitor the network, um, you know, you'd pay the, the big beefy log storage device, you have it all sitting there. And, you know, like Jake said, every five years, potentially you're sitting there replacing it with another server uh, for that log retention. Now, a lot of this is hosted, um, Oh, in the vendor's data center or data lake. And then from there, you pay it more of a per monthly basis for access, you know, and so depending on how many users you have, they predict how many logs it'll generate. Um, and then that's what helps determine the price. So even security now is becoming very predictable in pricing. So, you know, as an organization, you're projecting, let's say, five to 10% growth. You just know that your security costs and everything else are also gonna grow by five or 10%. So um, well, speaking of that growth, right? Along with CloudCom scalability, right? We can provision additional resources without having to purchase additional servers, right? To do that, we can spin up multiple 
um, user accounts, um, virtual servers, things like that as we need it. And then we can, of course, scale that back too. So we have uh, uh, tax clients, right? Or who are running taxes and they get very busy for a certain period of time. And we can give them larger, higher resourced uh, virtual machines that they can run for that period of time. And then in their off season, we can, we can bring those down a little bit and save on the cost with that. So lots of flexibility with those types of resources. I think that's a great call that you can go backwards too, right? And and start reducing yeah. that cost, um, you know, as long as the value still is there. So um, one of the things that I wanted to talk a little bit about this is, you know, Jake did a lot of talking about, you know, as the remote workforce is starting to go, um, sorry, now that they're remote, um, you know, we have more connections coming into the network. So bringing it all the way back um, and you know there's a whole podcast that I go deep 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 into zero trust with a few other individuals promise I won't bore you here with that but um, in the past organizations had a castle mentality right as you, you had the walls of the building that was the perimeter um, as you're adopting more and more uh, cloud technologies that perimeter really starts to become a little bit of a quasi gray area, right? Is, you know, where is our edge now? And so, you know, no longer is it just, we have the uh, the, the walls, there's a mainframe <laughs> sitting in the server room. You have to physically walk up to it, put it in, you know, type in your info. Now, you know, we've introduced, you know, um, VPNs, uh, all that kind of stuff. Now we have cloud solutions. So, now what we're starting to see in the cloud environment is that the the physical walls of the organization or maybe you know the physical walls and the VPN uh, tunnel is no longer your uh, perimeter anymore. Now it's the the access to those resources is the new perimeter. So it uh, there's a whole I don't remember if I did a a podcast on it and maybe it's coming up. Um, about identity and access management. Um, so identity and access management is a whole component about um, not just trusting that you know the the user, but you know the the multi-factor, the the behaviors that are happening, tying all that in together, and then making sure that everything checks out before you grant access to you know one of these applications. And so. It, now to scale that to you know 50, 70, you know 200 different applications that you have within your environment, where you can quickly see potentially where this complexity starts to come. Um, I'll probably take a little pause there because I could keep going. Um, but as you can start to see, is it was very very simple before with those the physical walls. Now we're becoming so deeply interconnected. Um, with how data is flowing, how you know we're logging into everything, it's it's becoming more of a web rather than just a a castle. So, yeah, I think we can speak to some of the networking security features that we should be implementing when we're moving to a cloud-based solution. You know, mm -hmm. some of the listeners that have the conventional background of of managing your your environment and your network and having a firewall sitting there to protect you from the outside world. What does that look like if you were to move to Azure today? What kind of things do we have to keep in mind when we start talking about that type of a migration? Um, so in a lot of ways, some of the, oh, I lost my light here. 
Sorry about that. In a lot of ways, uh, the the networking security inside of Azure has some similarities with an on-premise environment, right? We're spinning up resources. They have an internet connection out, um, but we also have to sometimes allow internet connections into these servers for various servers uh, that we may be running off of it, you know, web-based servers and things like that. So um, there's means of doing, you know, web application firewalls to sit in front of these resources. And Nate, maybe I'll let you speak to that a little bit later on. Um, but there's there's things that we can do in limiting inbound port access to our, our servers that we have running inside of Azure, making sure we don't have our 443 um, uh, ports opened up just to, to anybody in the world because we're testing something. We made it work, right? We have to shut those things down and make sure we're not leaving those holes open to our resources. and and things that we need to check as as we manage these resources moving forward and just do just constant security checks on those resources and making sure they're secure. Uh, when it goes to accessing those resources, um, a lot of times we're doing that uh, from a, from an office that you may still have, right? You may still have users that are coming in and still working at your office location and they want to access those resources, but we want to make it as easy as we can for them to do those things, right? So we can still um, implement our traditional VPN solutions to connect your on-premises networks to your cloud networks and allow that seamless um, access to those servers for your end users, but still keep those resources isolated from the outside world so that they can't be accessible from people outside of your organization. Um, another way of accessing resources within Azure is via just a direct uh, point to site VPN client, right? So maybe we don't want them to be in the office. They want to work from home and still access the server. A uh, particular customer of mine today, they don't want to open up a web server to the internet for various reasons. Uh, they're not able to put secure logins to this web application just because it's it's not that technologically advanced to support that with multi-factor authentication. Or doing this for this particular client is we're keeping that 443 web access restricted to your internal network and then putting a VPN client on the workstations to directly connect to Azure so they can access those resources over a private tunnel. So there's a lot of conventional uh, technologies that we can still utilize within the Azure space to connect your users. Um, where we get into more of the modern, um, you know, username, password, multi-factor authentication things, when we start getting into your um, software as a service-based solutions, things where you're accessing that via a web page, right? And we need the layers of security on that to make sure that we're safe moving to those. That was a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think <laughs> about uh, where I wanted to take that. Um, yeah. I, I guess just because you called it out, I will touch a little bit on what that the web app firewall is. So um, similar to a traditional firewall, right? It's it's per assessing the traffic coming in and you know blocking the unwanted traffic. You can take that same concept to your websites. Um, you know, so maybe this is your public website. Uh, maybe it's some type of critical application that you have. Um, oftentimes what we're seeing in the security space is people are scanning websites all the time looking for vulnerabilities. Uh, if you're on WordPress, take a look. Uh, there's always some new WordPress plugin that is uh, compromised or, you know, contains malware, that stuff. Right? It's super critical to keep your plugins up to date. Um, but going back to the WAF or, you know, the web app firewall is it sits in front of your website. So when someone does try and exploit some of this, right, you know, um, I'll just take the basics. Uh, maybe you have a, a little SQL database on the back end containing customer info that you're collecting, right? You know, please give me your email address, password, uh, all that stuff. And then the, the database stores it. 
there's a tax called like SQL injections where you can try and get the database to provide that data back to the attacker in an unauthorized way. Well, the web app firewall is going to see those types of attacks. And before it goes to the website, the firewall will deny that traffic while still allowing, you know, this traditional approved behaviors on your website. Um, so really, really powerful stuff, you know, here at CIT. Um, it's It's been a little bit since I last looked at it, but I believe we're blocking close to 2000 attacks a day on our own website, right? And, and we're not a big company, but it, it's just constant, right? So uh, oftentimes bots are just uh, automated computers are just running across the website testing to see if there is something vulnerable out there. So um, otherwise, maybe one of the other things just from a networking standpoint uh there's some really cool tools coming out um so it, you know as organizations continue to shift to the cloud more and more and more um and specifically related to networking is their wireless access um so there's some really really cool stuff that's coming so here at cit again we're, we're getting rid of all the servers on on our network right and so one of those servers is how do you grant access to the wireless network? Well, one of the next evolutions, you know, in, in terms of maturity of an organization as well, is getting to certificate-based authentication. Um, and now there's solutions out there that they'll run that server up in the cloud and it'll integrate with all of your other services to be able to push this certificate out to your devices. Uh, so that way you know that these are trusted devices. And then when you try and go access the wireless, it already shares that certificate with uh, the, the wireless. And so it can automatically log in. What that helps you do then is you're only providing that to your trusted devices. You can start pairing that potentially with the user that's logged into that system. Um, if someone was known to be compromised, you can revoke that certificate. They no longer have access. Um, but then at the same time, you've reduced all the concerns of some sitting in the parking lot, brute forcing your password, trying to get in. So, you know, as we're talking about things like uh, the finance, the healthcare, right? You're, you guys are, if you have wireless, it is heavily audited. They don't like um, people just having a pre-shared key that's then you could just grant access to one of the patrons or, you know, the customers to come into the network and access the internal network. Taking even the traditional server infrastructure uh, for that level of networking is all moving to the cloud as well. Uh, and it's very, very powerful. Um, and which then ties back into security as well. So the oh, really, I was going to say really quickly, I'm just going to interject because right loved all of the tech talk for somebody who doesn't work in that every single day. And maybe for a few listeners who are not technical staff, but maybe that's not on their plate and they're going. Okay, yeah, I want to use Office 365. I want to start using that. What does that look like to first get started? And then how would you even know to implement all those security things? Because, right, I get to learn about all these tools from you guys, but how would other people know which tools they need? So I would say Microsoft is is starting to get ahead of this a little bit, and they're enabling things called security defaults on their tenants moving forward, right? And and, and having multi-factor authentication isn't as much of an option anymore because Microsoft's is enabling this on the tenants by default, right? So they're doing uh, levels of that sort of protection on there by default. 
Yeah, and I would still say it's great that Microsoft is doing it. Other vendors aren't, right? And so one of the challenges there, and you know, here at CIT, I say this all the time, is um, a, an effective approach to you know just IT in general or you know cybersecurity is it takes three things to be truly effective: is the technology that you have has to be the the right technology the processes and the people um so essentially it still is going to require someone to know what they're doing and is experienced with the configurations of those to make sure that it's truly effective uh, and so that's where i'm going to selfishly take this back and say if you need help talk to cit um because mistakes happen all the time uh, because someone wasn't familiar with how to do something they roll it out um, i just dealt with this i think two months ago um, customer wanted to go implement multi-factor they thought they knew they realized that they forgot to close down a back door that doesn't support multi-factor had an account compromise as well and again that comes down to we know that because we do it all the time mm-hmm. um, and i guess the last thing that i'd say about this is there's a a a organization out there called OWASP O-W-A-S-P what they do is they measure um, kind of year to year over a couple years what are the top 10 uh, security risks to web applications so as we're talking about the cloud um, so from in 2017 it was very on-prem focused in 2021 when they released this everything that really started to change around. And if I just, I, I pulled up a picture of it here. Uh, number four was, oh, sorry. Number one jumped all the way up to broken access control. So again, granting access to those cloud infrastructure, talking about the identity as your new perimeter. Number four was brand new. It jumped all the way from something below uh, to the top 10 was insecure design. So as Jake is talking about how do we move you from one place to the next, there's an architecture that comes with that to make sure it's done properly and securely. So that was brand new. And then number five was security misconfiguration. So there's a, I think I read somewhere where within Microsoft, if you wanted to get into all the different configurations, there's hundreds of thousands of settings to go through. Um, It's massive. And that's just Microsoft. Now you take it to the other 80 applications that you own, you can get um, really, really deep into the weeds. But as we can see, there's a giant shift to people are deploying things in an insecure fashion and they don't go through all the settings to ensure that it's locked down properly. Tying that back into it now takes a village to be able to truly manage your IT. You can't just do it alone, right? And we we take the same mentality here at CIT. We don't just have one net admin anymore. We have a fleet of engineers that are managing even our internal network. Yeah, and we still have to take into consideration our end users, right? Keeping an eye on those emails that are coming in and being diligent to to check those for authenticity and making sure that what they're getting is is true and, and legitimate. So I don't know that those days will ever go away, but right now we still have to pay attention to those, right? Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. I'm going to be the time clock here person and say we've got about five minutes left. So I want to open the floor to both of you to say, is there any advice, any last thoughts for any business owners about 
anything talked about today or anything that we haven't talked about yet. Do you want to go first, Nate, or you want me to go first? You can go first. I've talked enough. All right. Um, yeah, so so it's a common trend to move to the cloud, right? And, and it's a conversation that we love to have with our customers in helping you design how do we get there. It's not an immediate migration for everybody to where they can get there tomorrow. A lot of times there's stages and phases to these things, uh, but we can certainly get you in the right, say, development plan to get you to a cloud-based solution today um and get rolling in a secure fashion too like like nate said there's there's numerous things that have to be configured correctly from the get-go to ensure you're secure within that system it's great that microsoft is enabling multi-factor authentication right off the get-go but there are things that we can do as far as securing your your sign-ins to only the united states maybe canada if we wanted to extend that blocking out foreign countries and be able to sign into your tenant um, advanced auditing and, and logging of your user logins and sign-ins and looking for those that are coming from um, unknown IP addresses throughout the country. And what do we want to do with those? Do we want to treat those as risky behavior, right? Um, and as far as moving to Azure, right, we love to sit down and have these conversations and, and talk through um, what does that migration plan look like for you? And we end up leaving those conversations a lot of times with the customer having a mindset of here's how we should migrate it. By the time we get through it, we pick apart a lot of pieces and things that we can move to other secure utilities that are cloud-based solutions. So now we have a, a much smaller um, handful of things that we need to actually migrate to Azure and secure. So if we can pick apart what we have on-premise today and put those into secure solutions and have a smaller amount of things that we need to migrate to say an Azure place, um, makes our, our set of our boundaries and walls a lot smaller that we have to cover on those systems. Yeah, I think probably my kind of closing thoughts is completely agree with Jake is uh, these are not overnight changes. Um, you know, here at CIT, I know that we've had at least a, it was at least three years since I remember being deeply involved in it, um, planning our very, very heavy cloud security focus. Um, and it's been a challenge, right, to get there. There's a lot of roadblocks that you face along the way. But it's been a lot of architecture and planning on, you know, the steps that it'll take to get us there uh, and a lot of consulting with, uh, you know, other people. Right. You know, it's not we, we don't think in a vacuum here at CIT either, um, but. That would be the big thing there. And then I'm going to take this all the way back to the NIST cybersecurity framework. We've talked about it many times. It's blasted all over the website. Um, but as we're talking about cloud and how. Um, one of the issues is now instead of just one server, one application, one environment, now you have potentially hundreds of different applications. Bringing it back to the NIST cybersecurity framework, if you remember, the first step uh, to be able to protect your environment is to identify what you have. You have to know what applications are being in the, uh, used in the environment. Do you have things like shadow IT, which is the concept of um, people using unauthorized resources for I, or for business use that aren't uh, authorized. So maybe you're a one uh, OneDrive shop and someone's using Dropbox, right? You have to know that because the the sprawl of your data, the sprawl of the, the potential access to the network just becomes wider and wider and wider. And it's only going to continue down that path. Um, we see no slowdown of people moving to the cloud. So 
ask for help. Be okay uh, with not knowing everything because it's so broad these days. Uh, Jake knows way more than I do when it comes to certain topics, and I know more than him on other topics. Um, and then, uh, again, just identify what you have so you can actually protect it long term. So That's the best conclusion. I was like, you summarized it for me. So thank you. That was amazing. But thank if, you, Nate. If you need any networking or cloud, Jake is your man, not me. So <laughs> Security, though, call <laughs> Nate. Don't call me. Love the cross promotion, but thank you, Nate, and thank you, Jake, for sitting down and talking about yeah. networking, cloud security. As we've said multiple times, if anybody has any questions, needs help, just wants to have a conversation to go, how do I even get started? Is anything secure? Even if you're not, we do service Minnesota, Western Wisconsin. If you're outside of that area, we do have an entire network of people that we can get you connected with that we trust. That's just one of the people, right, that we reach out to to say, hey, what is everybody else doing in the space? So we've got connections. By all means, reach out. You can find us online at cit-net.com backslash podcast, which shout out, we now have a newsletter subscription out there. So if you want to get first dibs on new episodes, that's my marketing spiel. Go out there. I swear we're not going to spam you one time a week. And then you can also email us at info at cit-net.com or else thank you, everybody. And we'll be back next week with another episode.